This podcast is brought to you by Northern Trust Wealth Management. What is the why that drives today's most successful business leaders? Tune in each month to the Road to Why podcast by the Northern Trust Institute, where host Eric Shapea dives deeper with entrepreneurs on their life's work, legacy, and the greater meaning of it all. Find the Road to Why where you listen to your favorite podcasts. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Barron's Live Market Watch Edition. I'm Jessica Hall, retirement reporter for Market Watch. With me today is Ann Ackerley, Managing Director and Head of the Retirement Group at BlackRock. Welcome, Anne. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Jessica. Um, so BlackRock CEO Larry Fink recently wrote about the silent crisis of retirement. Can you talk about what the silent crisis is and what's driving it? Sure. We, we do believe there's a silent crisis in retirement. And in fact, Americans are less prepared for retirement than they've ever been. And you know, there are a lot of stats um, that, that say it's a crisis. Let me just give you a, a few. Um, for adults who are uh, 55 to 65 Americans, um, about 50% have no retirement savings at all. And we know that about two thirds of Americans are going to rely on social security for more than half their income. And yet that annual income is on average about $18,000, very hard to, uh, to, to live that way. Um, and finally, maybe just one more is um, uh, the Boston Center on Retirement has said that, you know, more than 50% of Americans won't be able to have the standard of living they have pre-retirement in retirement. So we have a lot of stats saying this is a crisis. Mm -hmm. And we think it's a silent crisis because people aren't talking about it enough. Um, it's not in the news media every single day, although it's great to be talking about it here. Um, but politicians, corporate leaders, there's just not enough dialogue around. But if we were talking about it, you know, there are things we can do um, to make it better. Now, you did ask me what's driving it. And let me just focus quickly on three, three things. One is, you know, we're living longer. And that is a good thing. Uh, mm -hmm. It should be a, a blessing. But it means that, um, you know, the retirement age actually hasn't changed. And so we're spending a lot more years in retirement. We can be spending up to 30 years. Mm -hmm. And we haven't quite figured out how to finance that. Right. The second thing in the United States, there's been a move from defined benefit to defined contribution. People are more on their own. Um, mm -hmm. It used to be that a lot of people, not everybody, would mm -hmm. get a guaranteed pension from their company. Today, that doesn't happen. You have to save uh, and figure this out on your own. Mm -hmm. And then finally, just the last thing I'd say is um, a lot of people, actually 48% uh, of private sector workers, 57 million Americans, don't have access to a savings plan at work or a retirement plan at work. And yet we know when you have access, it's so much easier to save. So we got a lot of things, you know, causing this silent crisis. What can we do to avoid this crisis? Is it education or awareness or what do we need to do to, to help mitigate the crisis? Sure. Um, 
I don't think, we don't think that there's some silver bullet answer to this, right? I think mm -hmm. it's going to be a number of things. Um, but one thing I do want to focus on, and I, I talked about it before, is this concept of access to a workplace plan and the fact that so many people in the United States can't save at work. And yet, when you have access, you're 15 to 20 times more likely uh, to save. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if this surprises you. It surprised me uh, to find out that there's no requirement for a company to offer such a plan. And we find that most or many small and medium-sized businesses don't. Mm -hmm. um, they find it too costly, too administratively burdensome. They're trying to grow their company. And so, you know, one of the things and the reason why I'm so focused on this is I do think it's a very big barrier to us getting control of, the, of this crisis. Now, there have been some things that have been done. Um, recent legislation, there was bipartisan legislation called Secure 2.0. It's focused on, you know, giving companies, smaller companies, tax credits. It's allowing companies to pool resources to make it easier. Um, maybe you can have a starter 401k. So there's some policy things that are good. Mm -hmm. um, states um, are getting into the action. 17 states have passed legislation saying if you employ people in our state, you need to provide such a plan. And then the last thing I just want to mention is um, technology and using technology to make it easier for these small businesses to offer plans. There's um, a bunch of startups, um, you know, Vestwell, uh, Guideline, Human Interest that are tech enabled platforms. And it's a couple of clicks for the employer and a couple of clicks for the employee and you get access at your workplace plan. So, you know, there are a lot of other things that we need to be doing, but I focus on access just because it impacts so many people mm -hmm. and the evidence is overwhelming that if you make it easier for people and you make it easy for them at work, they're far more likely to save. I think I also talked about investing for a financial goal is like retirement is an act of hope and optimism. When what is standing in the way of people reaching their retirement goals? Is it a lack of money or know-how in investing or intimidation about the jargon? Um, what's standing in the way? Well, imitation or, uh, you know, fear of the jargon for sure. Um, I, look, I think it's a couple things, right? I think it's one, people are busy. We're mm -hmm. all trying to live our lives, right? We've got so much on our plate that we're doing that mm -hmm. it's hard to think about something that might be 30 or 40 years away. Um, I also think, yes, there's a lot of anxiety and um, around money and investing. And, and I think what that adds up to often is some confusion, but also procrastination. And yet the, the number one thing that we know that will help people is to start saving early. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's where I think we you know, we want to think about it. You know, the bottom line is how can we make it easier for people to save? And so when I think about it, I think less about um, financial literacy. Mm -hmm. I think more about we need to empower people. We need to make it easier for them to make decisions. And I think about like, you know, I know how to drive a car to get mm -hmm. where I'm going, but mm -hmm. I don't necessarily need to know how the engine works. And I think that's where as an industry, we've tried to go is to uh, empower people to make good decisions. And um, 
I focus on something called um, the autos or the automatics. Mm -hmm. We've made things automatic for people. And so like when I started in the business, um, you know, I had a 401k, I had to opt in, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm busy and, uh, you know, I didn't do it. You know, today, most employees, when they started a company, mm -hmm. they're automatically enrolled. They don't have to make a decision. Mm -hmm. Then they're automatically put into a target date fund. Mm -hmm. um, that's the default investment these days. And that's an age-based asset allocated product that kind of does it for mm -hmm. you, right? And then you might even be auto escalated, which means that your contributions increase by a certain percentage every year up to a maximum. Mm -hmm. And there's all sorts of evidence that shows by kind of using inertia, like using behavioral finance and putting mm -hmm. these automatics, we're gonna get better outcomes and we are getting better outcomes uh, for retirement. That's great. Um, women in particular face some extra hurdles in retiring comfortably, such as earning less sometimes in their careers, taking time out of the workforce for caregiving responsibilities and living longer. And you've said in the past that the retirement crisis is a women's crisis. What do women need to do to overcome these obstacles? You know, it is a woman's crisis for sure. And when we look at uh, women's balances, when they get to retirement, you know, they're often 30% or more less than men's. But I wanna be really clear about something. Women aren't to blame. There are some systemic things that are happening that result in this outcome. And let me just talk about those. Um, you know, the first is the gender pay gap, right? Mm -hmm. Women on average make 84 cents on the dollar than men. So even if you're contributing the same amount, it's mm -hmm. fewer dollars and that compounds over time. Right. And then women provide 80% of the caregiving in the United States, whether that's childcare, whether that's adult care. And mm -hmm. so they can be in and out of the workforce and there can be times where they're not making money mm -hmm. and they're not contributing to their savings account. And yet women live longer. And so this money has to last longer. And so I, I think of it really as like a triple whammy um, mm -hmm. that causes women to have you know, more challenges. And so you ask like, what can, what can we do? And, and first I would wanna say like as a society, I think we need to make some policy changes, right? We need to figure out how to eliminate the pay gap. We need to figure out how to give women credit for unpaid, um, caregiving, you know, they shouldn't be penalized for that. But today, since that's the world we live in, um, you know, specific to women, I'd say maybe really two things. Um, the first one is negotiate your salary. When I started in the workplace, people did not talk about compensation. Mm -hmm. You know, today that's really changed. And there's a lot more transparency. There's websites you can go to. I think people talk about it more. No, what a comparable position is worth and to ask for it because you don't get what you don't ask for. Mm -hmm. And the second thing, and I'm probably gonna be a broken record about this is you have to start early, start as early as you can. Even if you're gonna take some time out of the workforce, that mm -hmm. money will compound over time. Like let's let the markets work for us mm -hmm. and let's let that compound over a 30 or 40 year time period. 
Um, I want to invite the audience to submit some questions in the Q&A. And back to Anne, the younger generation, Gen Z, actually seems to be saving fairly well for retirement, um, more so than their older counterparts did at those young ages. Why is this happening? Why is Gen Z on the ball? Yeah, go Gen Z. Um, we have a survey called Reader Retirement. We do it every year. Mm -hmm. And yes, we're finding they're saving more and we're finding they're more engaged in the planning and thinking about retirement. And that is a good thing. Now, why is that? Mm -hmm. Well, one, I think Gen Z, uh, they grew up in families that are probably more familiar with 401ks. Okay. It is likely their parents had a 401k. And so there's probably been more, a lot more talk, talk about it, mm -hmm. certainly than when I got out of school. But the second thing is they were raised in kind of the shadow of the global financial crisis. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of Gen Zers, they might've seen their parents lose their job or be laid off or the family have a lot less financial uh, security. Mm -hmm. And it has made that generation just a lot more risk averse, which in this case actually works, works in their favor. So, you know, to Gen Z, I say, keep going, keep saving. Um, maybe two notes of caution. Um, one is, you know, be careful where you get your information. Uh, mm -hmm. I have a adult son who gets all his information, including his financial information from Reddit. I'm constantly talking to him about who can you trust? Where can you get trusted information? He should go to Barron's. Um, and the second thing is, you know, be careful of fads. They're sexy, you know, crypto was interesting. Now we have artificial intelligence and those stocks are going through the roof. I'm a believer in low cost, diversified um, investing, uh, index investing, that'll get you there, you know, over time, you know, kind of time tested and true. Right. What about, can you talk a little bit about the older generations, the millennials and the Gen Xers? Are they poorly positioned to retire? Are they for not starting as early? Um, let me let me focus on you know Gen X and um, you know there is a lot of evidence to suggest that they are less prepared mm -hmm. and they're extremely anxious about being less prepared. That you see that in in all the studies, you mm -hmm. know, and there are good reasons why. Um, this is a generation really I think that has been facing some economic challenges. When you think about the cost of childcare, the cost of healthcare, the cost mm -hmm. of sending kids to school, right? That's all been skyrocketing. And at the same time, this might be a generation where they're caring for their, uh, their older parents, mm -hmm. right? They might be having them live at home. They might be paying for assisted living. And this is kind of the sandwich generation that mm -hmm. you know has made it really hard for them to focus on themselves and focus on saving themselves. And so to, you know, Gen X, I say one, you still have years to retirement, you know, maybe it's 10 to 15 years, that is mm -hmm. not too late, you know, put a plan in place and save, mm -hmm. you know, and when you get to be 50, you can make catch up contributions. And again, to try to take advantage of everything that you can in a tax advantaged way, mm -hmm. you know, to help better prepare you. But yeah, it's been hard for Gen X for sure. Okay. Um, so apparently more people fear running out of money than they fear death. So what do people need to do to ensure that they have enough money in retirement and they don't outlive their savings? 
I mean, that is true. The number one financial fear in America is the mm -hmm. fear of outliving your savings. Mm -hmm. um, and it is hard. You know, I think we need to acknowledge that. We have to think about um, this notion that you get to retirement, you're no longer earning money, you've mm -hmm. got this pool of assets, and you've got to figure out how to spend it each year so you don't run out. You know, and if you're going to live to 75, you might spend it one way. Mm -hmm. If you're going to live to 95, you know, it's that same pool of assets. You might spend it a different way. And so when I think about it, you know, you don't know how long you're going to live. You don't know what the markets are going to do. And you don't necessarily know what your expenses are. Mm -hmm. And that all adds up to making this hard. And um, the Nobel laureate Bill Sharp mm -hmm. has called spending in retirement the nastiest, toughest problem in finance. Right. And yet in America, we've kind of said to everybody, hey, you know, kind of go figure it out yourselves. And so, yes, it's it's challenging and we need to acknowledge that. But I wanted to talk about maybe two things mm -hmm. that could uh, help people as they think about um, spending in retirement, not running out of money, you know, maybe creating their own paycheck for life. Mm -hmm. And so the first one is, I do think for some people, for many people, putting some of your money into an annuity can make sense. Now, annuities have a bad reputation. They're viewed as complex. They're viewed as costly. I don't work for an insurance company, mm -hmm. but I think that having some portion of guaranteed income, you know, maybe to cover your essential expenses mm -hmm. could, could make sense. And so, um, you know, one of the things that I'm starting to see a lot of is employers thinking about putting annuities into the 401k. And the great news about that is the employer can pick the insurance companies. You don't have to. Mm -hmm. The insurer can pick, uh, the, the employer can pick the type of annuity. So you don't have to. And the employer can get institutional pricing right? Pooling these assets instead of you going out one-off and purchasing it. And so I think there are um, a lot of things that are happening with guaranteed income. And again, for some portion of your assets, not all of them, think about that because it would give you stability and maybe some peace of mind that mm -hmm. you won't run out of your money. And the second thing I think everybody needs to think about is when to take social security. Okay. Now, the earliest that you can take it is 62. And that kind of sounds good. Oh, I get it, you know, 62. Why wait to 67? Um, but there is really a penalty for taking it at 62. So the average, uh, and I'm going to use kind of round numbers, the average Social Security monthly payment um, is about $1,800 a month mm -hmm. at age 67. If you take it at 62, you pay a 30%, you, you are penalized 30%, and that uh, monthly benefit's about $1,200. Oh. If you can wait till you're 70, mm -hmm. that monthly payment can be $2,200. And so I think for a lot of us, as we're going to think about living longer, if we could delay, we could get this higher monthly payment. Mm -hmm for longer. And now not everybody can, and some people need to take it right at 62. But if you have savings, mm -hmm. 
-hmm. you could spend your savings and postpone social security and ultimately get this higher benefit, you know, over your lifetime. And so those are two things I think, you know, how do we help people create a paycheck for life from these different sources? Okay. Um, we're going to take a question from the audience. Sure. Um, okay. So Ralph wrote in that he is preparing, he's ready for retirement within a couple of years and wants to preserve his money while getting a safer return. Where should he put his money right now? Well, good for Ralph for thinking about retirement and, and, you know, thinking about it before, before we get there. Um, you know, asset allocation is probably, you know, one of the biggest things to think about. And there's going to be a balance of wanting to preserve and not take too much risk, mm -hmm. but you need some form of growth assets, particularly, you know, because now we're, we're living longer. And so again, you're going to hear some themes here. I'm a huge believer in target date funds. Mm -hmm. um, I recommend them to everybody who asks me. Um, actually became pretty popular at parties. You know, people take me aside. What should I do for retirement? And look, target date funds do the asset allocation for you. They are age-based, asset allocated. Um, you know, they bring down the risk over time. Mm -hmm. But when you get to retirement, you still have some growth assets. And so, um, you know, I'll give you, you know, it ranges different providers think of it different ways. But by the time you get to retirement, you still might have 40% in equity and 60% in some basket of fixed income. Um, Interesting. Um, so black and Hispanic workers face some additional retirement savings challenges. And can you, um, can you talk about some of the issues facing these demographics and what can be done to help them? Sure, they, they really do face challenges. And just to give you order of magnitude, um, you know, Black Americans, um, there's a seven to one savings, a retirement savings gap with white Americans. And for Latinx, it's five to one. So there is a big gap, big racial retirement savings um, gap for sure. Now, some of the reasons are the same as for women. Mm -hmm. There's a, a racial pay gap. People of color, make less than their white counterparts. Mm -hmm. um, people of color often work for companies that don't provide plans. Mm -hmm. So if you think about they're working for smaller, medium-sized businesses, they might be more, working more in the retail and service sectors. But we know that people of color are disproportionately affected by this lack of access. We also are finding, and this is a, more of a new finding, that Black Americans take hardship withdrawals more often than white Americans. And I'm gonna come back to talk about what the impact of that is. Um, and then there's trust. And I think we need to talk about this more. Um, you know, people of color may trust their employers less. They may trust financial institutions less. And that means often that they're going to be less uh, about savings. So yes, they face all these challenges. Um, in terms of what to do, I have some of the same comments I made for for women, um, mm -hmm. we need to fix the racial pay gap. Mm -hmm. We need to get everybody access to a plan because we need to make it easier for people to save. But particularly, um, 
for um, people of color, I do want to talk about these hardship withdrawals. Okay. We just find that um, people of color tend to make them far more often than their, their white counterparts. And they can have really a devastating impact, right? So they're doing it, right? They're saving for the long term, but mm -hmm. suddenly they need the money for some emergency. Mm -hmm. And they're forced to take this withdrawal. They're, they pay a penalty, they pay taxes, and they're kicked out of the plan. And they can't put that money back in. Now, they can get back into the plan after six months or more. But as I talked about, inertia, busy, most of them don't. And there is new uh, research coming out from the Aspen Institute that shows that this might be for, for um, uh, Black and Latinx employees, this might be one of the biggest drivers of why they have worse outcomes. And so this is something we can fix, right? We can acknowledge that everybody, right, might have a need for emergency savings. Mm -hmm. um, we need to, to get the balance of short-term and long-term better, right? That people will have emergencies, they will need access. And if they know they can get their money and mm -hmm. we don't penalize them, they're more likely to save for the long-term. So I think that's something we could all be looking at right now and fixing in the system, not penalizing um, people quite as much. Right. Um, you talked a little bit about this already, but, um about 46% of households nearing retirement have no retirement savings at all. And there's 10,000 people turning 65 every day. And it, it sounds like we're driving off a cliff in a way. Are we facing an elderly poverty for crisis? I think we are. Um, in fact, today, one out of every th three Americans who are over 65 are economically insecure. And that's according to the National Council on Aging. Mm -hmm. We know that 25% of women retire into poverty. I mean, that's just way too high. And I think uh, elderly poverty is just going to get worse. Right. So what I am gonna talk about, um, you know, I talked about that there should be benefits of living longer. Mm -hmm. And the Stanford Center on Longevity has done a lot of work around remapping life and you know this is early stages but but what if we thought about our life differently you know what if we you know we we're living longer we kind of took all those years and stuck them in retirement what if we move them to different parts of our life so we go to school we might get a job we might come out of the workforce have a sabbatical we might raise kids you know we might go back in we might be in and out a lot more now mm -hmm. We may wind up working longer, but we would have more flexibility if we think about, you know, life and the way we work differently than we do today. Now, I know that's not the, what's happening now, um, but I would say we do see companies beginning to think a lot more about retaining their older workers. And again, you know, I might not be the most popular person suggesting that people may need to work longer, but you know, retiring at 65 might have made a lot of sense um, when you're living to 75. You know, we may want to think differently when you're going to live to 95. But companies, um, there are there are fewer younger workers today. Mm -hmm. uh, reduced fertility, lower immigration. Companies are thinking 
I need my older workers, and I think this could be a good thing. And we're starting to see companies set up mentor programs, um, work, uh, you know, cross-generational teams as mm -hmm. ways of keeping wisdom and knowledge, you know, in the system. And we also know that one of the big things in retirement uh, that impacts retirement, um, you know, is loneliness. And mm -hmm. I think keeping um, our older population more engaged it ultimately will be a good thing if we can think about how to remap life and remap kind of how we think about work. So often retirement can sometimes happen before you expect it, and that leaves people without enough money. So what do you do if life gets in the way of your big retirement plan and you have to retire suddenly? Yeah, well, life does get in the way. And in fact, it, uh, evidence shows that, you know, 50% of people retire before they think they're going to. Wow. Um, and studies show that health is probably the biggest driver, mm -hmm. followed by layoffs or changes in jobs. And then it could be change in family, right? You might need to leave the workforce because you have to care for a family mm -hmm. member. You know, your spouse may retire early and you, you want to, to leave as well. Um, but it can be challenging if you're not prepared. And I guess one thing I want to say is, you know, you don't necessarily need to go this alone. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some people will have a financial advisor that can help, but if you don't, mm -hmm. um, there are community centers, the National Council on Aging has community centers all over the country that are designed to help you think through these issues. Um, and so if you have to retire early, you're going to have to look at your income and expenses, you're going to have to come up with a budget, mm -hmm. you know, you want to think about where you live, you know, should you be downsizing, there's lots of things to think about. Um, but you don't need to go it alone for sure. Um, and maybe one thing I'd say is since so many people wind up retiring before they think, mm -hmm. you know, we all may need to just be more prepared, you know, <clears throat> be prepared for the emergency. What yeah. if it happened? What would it look like and what would I need to do? Right. Um, good advice. So actually on the issue of advice, what's the best financial advice you ever got and who gave it to you? Okay. Um, so, you know, we didn't talk about 401ks in my family because my parents didn't have them. And when I started my job, nobody talked to me about them. Mm -hmm. It was actually when I was buying life insurance mm -hmm. after I had my first child that the life insurance agent asked me if I was investing in my 401k at work. And he mm -hmm. said, you're giving up free money. You know, if you contribute, the employer will contribute. And so that got me started on the path. It was 10 years later than mm -hmm. I should have. Um, but I did start to save. And, and I'll just tell you, I have two adult children. Uh, I talk to them all the time about saving early and saving as much as you can. I think they think I'm a broken record, but <laughs> they need to hear that. Oh, definitely. And that's our job as parents is to be broken records, you know. Exactly. So. Well, thank you so much, Anne. This has been wonderful. And that's all we have time for for today. So thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me on this important topic. Thank you. We hope you listen to our next episode tomorrow. Financial News is Jeremy Chan will speak to CME's Derek Salmon, Head of Global Commodities, Options, and International Markets on the Commodity Market Outlook. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and have a good day.